Mendel Crack Podcast contains information that may not be suitable for all listeners and is not recommended for everyone. Its topics are sometimes graphic and always a little bit edgy. So, unless you like getting calls from your school's counselors about Krampus like we do, you may want to send your kids off to go do something else for a little bit. But for now, go ahead and grab a drink and settle in. It's time for Mental Crack. Kedmila Falche, thank you for joining us or coming back to join us for Mental Crack, killers, cults, and crimes with a proper drink on the side. This is a podcast where a true crime-obsessed and beer-nerdy wife and her whiskey and bourbon-loving husband talk about killers, cults, and other crimes while breaking down the psychology behind the madness. It's a special day, you guys. It's winter solstice. So we're going to switch gears a bit today going into the winter holiday season because, let's face it, this is the time of year to be on your best behavior, allegedly. And what better way to frighten your offspring into being good than with some good old-fashioned cautionary tales? But before we go into our topics, you know how we do it. So we are actually pairing some adult bevies with our topic, and today is going to be really fantastic as we feature many beers from Germany and Austria. Um, yeah, it's a fun trip to the local beer store that Jen had yesterday. She came back bearing gifts. Yeah, I did. Um, and, you know, she has a really good selection here. So uh, we have a fabulous six-pack here, and the selections today are... The Otterringer Vienna Lager, the Schneiderweisse, Helleweisse, yeah. <laughs> Grievensteiner Unfiltered Lager, Weihenstaffener, uh, there we go, yeah, <laughs> Helles, Eyinger Celebrator Bavarian Doppelbach. Which comes with a really cool ornament on the bottle. It does, even not at Christmas. I There was a period where I was buying those things and I had like 20 or 30 of those little rams that are their Our mascot. Our daughter has so many of those that she's stolen. We won't talk about that now. So if you happen to be Child Protective Services, it wasn't me. No, it was the ornaments and, and now she's on her best behavior because the holiday is here. Yep. So um, lastly, we have Gaffel Kolsch, uh, which is Jen's favorite because of the name Gaffel. <laughs> Gonna have to gaffle you. So, and um, there is a bonus. Yes, I did a sixer plus a six pack. Indeed. So the Franziskana Weissabia is the backup, and it is also fabulous. Um, for those of you that don't know, Jen's reference to gaffle actually comes from '90s hip hop. It sure does. I've got mad hip hop knowledge. Name that tune, Jen. Do I have to? You might as well. Put it in the comments on YouTube. Okay, yeah. In for a penny, in for a pound, guys. Um, that has nothing to do with the reference. <laughs> so, uh, also, since it's touted to be the most wonderful time of the year, we're going to pair these drinks with the traditional German Stollen. Stollen is a rich fruit bread cake from central Germany. It's, it's especially from around the city of Dresden. The name is derived from an old high German word, Stolo, which means support or post, and... Quite frankly, if you know fruitcake, most of them could work as a support or post, but that's probably not why. Doorstop, you know, <laughs> weapon. Yeah, blunt object. Um, roll your 20-sided die now uh, for your damage for that <laughs> one. <laughs> um, the characteristic shape of uh, stolen, uh, it's oblong tapered at each end with a ridge down the center. It's said to represent the Christ child in swaddling cloths. Uh, whence the name Christolin. Dear 
eight pound, five ounce <laughs> baby Jesus wrapped baby. in your golden diaper. <laughs> baby stolen. <laughs> yeah, we haven't started drinking yet. Um, it's been an odd week. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, actually, odd couple of weeks. Uh, but anyways, the Kustolen, sometimes that's the name that's given to it. Um, the Dresden Stolen, now known internationally as a Christmas specialty, is made from a rich, sweet yeast dough mixed with milk, eggs, sugar, and butter, sometimes flavored with lemon, raisins, sultanas, currants, rum, or brandy, candied peel, and almonds are worked into the dough. So Yummy. if there's not enough other stuff in there, there's a little bit of that in there as well. Um, and they throw liquor in there just so you can stomach it once it's done. and Or you don't remember it. I'm not sure which way that works, but I think really the alcohol gets cooked off, so it's kind of a moot point. So anyways, after baking, the stolen is painted with melted butter and butter. dusted with sugar. I love butter. And they work the hell out of that thing. Anyway, um, it may then be further decorated with candy fruits because if there's not enough in it, let's put some on the outside. Hell yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, anyway, so we're happy to be sharing the Winternacht Butter and Almond Strollen purchased from Aldi. Aldi. <laughs> and not so, ger- well, actually it may be German. I don't know where Aldi's from, but you know, it's the uh, poor man's uh, gourmet store. Yeah, get ready for your shit to be thrown at and, you at the checkout. Yeah, that's going to happen. And also, if you have to go buy a hefty amount of things from there, bring a quarter. Because otherwise, you ain't getting a trolley. It ain't happening. No carts, unless you got a quarter. Actually, I was told on the way out the first day. It would, my daughter and I went there, and we were a little surprised by that whole quarter into the slot, so you can pop the cart out from the rest of them. Um, but the lady at the register did tell me that if we ever did not have a quarter, she would give us a quarter. Um, and the reality is is that back in the day, you could use a quarter to call somebody on a payphone. but not only are calls more expensive now, but... I don't know the last time that I actually saw a payphone. Where the fuck are you going to find a payphone? <laughs> I know, like, right? Dude, so, up, up in the shopping center by our house, like they have the old English call boxes. Yeah. Ain't shit inside but a no. bench. No. <laughs> no tel- um, no call fo- uh, telephones for you. Yeah. Anyway, that being said, you know inflation's a bitch whenever the quarter is the new penny and they're just giving them to you at the door so that you can go get a cart. Anyhow, that's my piece. We're way off topic now. We never do that, so we should probably rein ourselves in. Speak to me, Jen. Why, thank you. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pop open this gaffle Kolsch. And I'm going to have the Otakaringa Vienna Lager. And um, we're going totally cheap-ass tonight. We don't even have glasses to pour this stuff in because... We do have glasses. There There was a moment after the last... The last, uh, the last episode. I'm not going to say anything. But, he said enough. But, but there was no wine put behind ears. There wasn't. And that led to a whole thing, like two weeks of a thing that we dealt with. Oh, yeah. So um, before we get to the topic, we do apologize for the delay in getting this episode of the podcast to you. But as DeServe said, our family was down with a sickness. Andy was kind enough to bring a souvenir of the Rona back from a business trip. He may have gotten it before then. And in all honesty, it's hard to tell who patient zero was in our house because I work in a high-risk facility. But nonetheless, Andy tested positive. Yours truly tested positive. And thankfully, our child tested negative. And our dogs tested stupid. 
Which really had nothing to do with the Rona, just their behavior. Yeah, and we're not getting a retest on that either. So um, bottom line, your girl here is um, able to go back to work tomorrow for one day until the holiday. But, you know, it'll be nice to see other humans. I love my humans and my fur babies here. But I'll see other humans and and see what kind of crap has gone on while I've been gone. Anyway. So So with that. Why don't you tell us what we're in for? What treats lie in store for us in this episode, Jen? Well, thank you for asking. In this episode, we're going to cover the works of Heinrich Hoffman, the folklore surrounding Krampus, and the abomination that is Elf on a Shelf. Take it away, Andrew. Yeah, so uh, I'll talk a little bit about Heinrich Hoffmann here, just so that you guys can have some background. Uh, Heinrich Hoffmann was a German psychiatrist who both who had both a private practice and provided services in a pauper's clinic. So, you know, those were big back in that time. Um, he also worked at the Sek- Senkenberg Foundation. Sorry, I, I pronunciation is not really my strong suit, as you guys have noticed. I butcher everything. Come on, um, Duolingo, do your work. Yeah, I know. Anyway, uh, but anyways... In in the Seckenberg Foundation, um, he taught anatomy, and uh, his combined pay his combined pay was not really all that much. So, uh, when the previous doctor of the Frankfurt Lunatic Asylum retired in 1951, he was all too happy to take the position. Of course, he did so with no expertise in psychiatry at the time. However, he quickly became well versed in the profession. Publishing multiple articles in the field, his patients seemed to embrace his very sociable personality. Interestingly enough. Data he collected regarding his patients indicated that up to 40% of the cases he covered, who would most likely meet the criteria for schizophrenia today, um, were discharged relatively quickly after a few weeks or months and remained in remission for years and even permanently. Yeah, as a psychologist, I can tell you in this day and age, medication compliance is always a tricky game when you're working with folks who legitimately uh, meet the diagnostic criteria for schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, or schizoaffective disorder, which is essentially the marriage of schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. And um, as you might imagine, as with a physical illness, one's often inclined to cease medication usage when symptoms abate. So I think of you know how many of us don't go through that full course of antibiotics when we um, start feeling better following some sort of bacterial infection. So this girl right here applauds Hoffman's success to the fullest. And Hoffman was a modest man, and he would voice doubt that these successes were the result of any therapy that he may have provided. He did focus on pushing a new modern asylum building for all patients with access to lush gardens in the city's green belt, and he was successful in his endeavors. The new clinic was built at the site of today's Frankfurt University's Humanities Campus. The original building itself was demolished in the 1920s. And if you think about this, prior to Hoffman's strong campaigning, people with severe and persistent mental illness were often subject to harsh, verging on inhumane treatment. There was significant overcrowding in facilities and often to manage patient behavior. Heavily sedating medication was regularly utilized, and before that was available, physical restraints were used. So no active treatment was offered to promote and contribute to any lasting successes with patients. And just so you know, more recently, similar efforts have been put forth regarding the care of older patients suffering from dementia and other types of neurological decline. In 1996, Thomas proposed the implementation of the Eden Alternative Model, which focuses on moving away from the institutional medical model of care into a constructive culture of the concept of home, wherein patients direct their own lives. The Eden philosophy is focused on the care of the human spirit as well as the care of the human body. 
Now, there's been minimal research on the practicality of the method, but without a doubt, it's a vast improvement in the quality of life of the patients that have exposure to it. And just um, speaking from somebody who's worked in different state facilities, I did work in um, a neuromed center that did have an entire unit that was um, created around the Eden philosophy. And, you know, what you did see, which from a logistics standpoint that can be challenging, is um, having a lower census on that particular unit to kind of work within the model. And your staffing was different than it was on the other units. Um, But um, definitely, I I loved whenever I was working on that floor, they had their own dog and their own cat. And their dog, like, his belly dragged the floor because, like, all the patients were feeding him, like, half sandwiches and stuff. That, That dog made bank. Uh, Poor thing, probably a diabetes. Um, But in any case, um, that's just something to think about in terms of, you know, people's efforts to improve quality of life for folks that are receiving those types of services. But back to the man and his epic work. Now, if, like me, you're a fan of The Office, you might uh, recall (laughs) recall Dwight's reading of Der Strulpeter, and this appears in Season 2, Episode 18, the Take Your Daughter to Work Day episode. Sorry, I got to turn up my mic. I I stole some stolen. Stolen. Yeah. All right. Sorry, let me finish chewing here real quick. How is that stolen? Is it good? Is it fruity? It is fruity. Um, not a huge fan of fruit stuff, but chewy. Amazing <laughs> what you'll put up with while you're drinking. Yeah, sometimes it's it's good to have a little bit of sustenance. It no is no matter how is. off the beaten path it is. Okay, so back to his seminal work, or one of his seminal works um, outside it of his would patient. be his seminal work. Yeah, yeah. Um, Peter, roughly translated as shock-headed Peter or slovenly Peter or shaggy Peter, any of which. Rutro Raggy, uh, was written in 1845. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, the, book is, the book is comprised of 10 illustrated and rhyming stories, and these stories are generally about children. Each of these cautionary tales has a clear moral that demonstrates the disastrous and oftentimes exaggerated consequences of misbehavior. Um, Dear Stroll Peter is one of the earliest books for children that combines the written work and illustration. Um, it was a forerunner to the modern day comic book, which is cool to me because I like comic books. Yeah, it's pretty badass. Yep. You might have guessed by now that I'm a little bit of a geek. I've already talked about a 20-sided die, and now I'm talking about comic books. Um, moving on, Hoffman wrote Strule Peter in reaction to the lack of good books for children. Uh, if you recall, in prior Mental Crack episodes... Uh, we discussed that the children's show Yo Gabba Gabba exists for exactly the same reason. Um, the Basically, what was available sucked. So a ingenious man that thinks a lot like I do, and he's a musician, so he decided he needed to make a children's show for his child. Uh, much like that, Hoffman decided that there really wasn't much out there. So um, he, he had originally intended to buy a picture book as a Christmas present for his three-year-old son, but he made the decision to write and illustrate one on his own. Um, so, yeah, he, he basically jumped the shark on it. But I'm glad that he did. It's a great book. And in 1845, thanks to his friends, they persuaded him to publish the book anonymously with the title. I love this title. This Get is how ready, you, guys. I'll do my best to read it. I'll butcher it while I go, though. But um, this is how you know that he was, he was German. Lustiger 
Geschichten und Drohlig, Bilder mit, I don't, what is it, Dreisig? No. Uh, uh, no. No, it's, no, Dreisig is 35. 50. 50, yeah, see, or yeah, sorry, jumping languages. Uh, 50 schon kolleriten Telfen, or Telfen, für Kinder von, und zwei, drei, drei und sechs. Yeah, drei und sechs. Jahren. Jahren, which is, translates to, the very creative title. <laughs> yes. So, you know, he's German. One, it's very long. But two, it translates to funny stories and droll pictures with 15 beautifully colored panels for children of three to six years. So he basically did what you find on the outside of boxes and, and toys for, for children today. Oh, yeah. And what I think is even better is some of the outcomes of this are, would be a little frightening to a three-year-old. So you would... <laughs> <laughs> I love the way the Germans think. Yeah. The only way this could be more German is if they smash all of that into a single word, like the Germans like to do, where they have their little sentence words that are basically all the adjectives and the noun crammed into a single a single word that basically also tells what it's doing. And if they did, that would be totally perfect and schlag. That wasn't German. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> The third edition was published in 1858. Sorry, we might have... Oh, wait, sorry. I jumped a little bit too far. So anyways, the, uh, aside from that really long title, the book was actually quite cutting edge as it was one of the first that used chromolithography. Sorry. And um, that's basically a method of taking multicolored prints or, or making multicolored prints in um, books. And, and so they did this inside of a children's book, no less. And that made it rather unique for the time. And I'm sure that we have links to Strollpita. Yes. And the Patreon page. Yes. Thank you. I got it covered. Thank you, Mr. Mr. Dallas. Um, the third edition published. Oh, <laughs> that's a different episode. Um, <laughs> the third edition published in 1858 featured the title Strollpita. The name of the character in the first story. So actually, Strollpita only shows up in the first story, but it's fine. It 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 does a pretty good job encapsulating the feel of the book, and the book became quite popular among children throughout Europe and has been translated into several languages. It, as it turns out, Mark Twain wrote his own translation of the book in 1891, but because of copyright issues, Twain's Slovenly Peter was not published until 1935, which was 25 years after his death. Probably he probably had something witty written up it up about it. You know, he came up with things like, "I would never be a member of a club that would have me." Um, so it's probably one of those things. They can't sue me once I'm dead kind of thing. Um, also British twin illustrators, Janet and Anne Graham Johnston. Um, man, that's a recurring name in our podcast, so it's not quite spelled the same, uh, provided new illustrations for an English translation published in 1950. Take it away, Jen. Tell us a little bit more about this. I would love to do that. Now, Der Peter is known for introducing the character of the tailor or the scissor man to Western literature. Some researchers now see the stories in the book as illustrations of many child mental disorders that we know about today. In 2018, the British Journal of Psychiatry makes mention of Strollpeter, noting that, quote, even though Strollpeter is no longer customary childhood reading, it continues to exert an influence in today's culture and represents a remarkably insightful early Victorian portrayal of childhood psychopathology, identifying syndromes that now appear in the diagnostic manuals. The tale of fidgety Phil 
offers a classic description of an attention deficit hyperactivity uh, situation. Not only its symptoms, but the family conflicts that can um, be aroused by it. Johnny Head and Air can be interpreted as a representation of ADHD or petite malabsence, which um, is a seizure that causes one to um, blank out or stare into space for a few seconds. Um, they are also referred to as petite mal seizures. Children with an eating disorder that proved to be fatal, as noted in Augustus in the Soup, Pyromania, which appears in Harriet in the Matches, and Cruel Antisocial Behavior, which is the story of Cruel Frederick, are included, along with stories depicting dissocial, racist behavior, and thumb-sucking. And now we present to you our dramatic, semi-dramatic readings of a few of the tales presented in Heinrich Hoffman's Der Peter. So um, settle in and enjoy the ride. All I was going to say is that I'm pretty sure some of the mispronunciations I'll come up with will be dramatic. Yes. Wonderful. Perfect and schlag. Jen, why don't you read us the title? I, I would love to. And before I start, I do want to say that the copy of um, Der Strulpeter that we have is actually the English version. But in the very back, it does have the translation in German. And Andy and I kind of played with the idea of reading the German and thought that that was really cruel and unusual punishment for all of our listeners to endure. Yep. Because... Alex Brecker, ein bisschen Deutsch. Ein bisschen Deutsch. Um, I'm not very good at it. No, it's it, it, it. We're just we're just not. Maybe for another time, maybe. But um, I present to you the title work, Stroll Peter, which is shock-headed Peter. Just look at him. There he stands with his nasty hair and hands. See, his nails are never cut. They are grimed as black as soot. And the Slaven, I declare, never once has combed his hair. Anything to me is sweeter than to see shock-headed Peter. That slobby little boy. Oops, sorry. And we're going to actually read to you five of these, so we're going to be taking turns. I'm old, and I should have brought my glasses. I thought the same thing about myself. Let's see how this goes, kids. Sit back. (laughs) Enjoy Do you want ride. me to hold that over here for you? No, <laughs> so, no, no, no. Oh, nice glare there. Anyways, so um, here is Cruel Frederick. See, a horrid, yeah, a horrid, wicked boy was he. He caught the flies, the poor little things, and then tore off their little tiny wings. Actually, it's just tiny wings, sorry. Um, he, he'd kill the birds and broke the chairs and threw the kittens down the stairs. Good Lord, he's vicious. And oh, far worse than all beside, he whipped his Mary till she cried. Cruel Frederick was a jerk. It's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we know somebody would be visiting uh, Cruel Frederick. <laughs> it's true. Foreshadowing. <laughs> ah, good Lord. There's more. <laughs> And while Jen's reading this one, I'll go grab my glasses so I don't ad-lib on the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. This Do you want me happens. to jump in on Cruel Frederick so you can get your glasses? I already read Cruel Frederick. No, that, wasn't there more? Oh, Is that maybe. I don't know. That's how bad glasses get. Yeah, well, it's good Lord. It might be short. It might be. Oh, no, there's more. Oh, good Lord. This may be an edit moment. Let me it, go grab it, my glasses. It could be. Are you sure? Because I can pick up. Okay, you can pick up. Enjoy enjoy the humor of my old man eyes. Everyone. 
When you get there, it won't be funny. Trust me, you guys. Uh, it's still humorous. All right. The trough was full and faithful Trey came out to drink one sultry day. He wagged his tail and wet his lip when cruel Fred snatched up a whip and whipped poor Trey till he was sore and kicked and whipped him more and more. That little asshole. At this, good Trey grew very red and growled and bit him till he bled. Good job, dog. Then you should only have been by to see how Fred did scream and cry. Vindication. So Frederick had to go to bed. His leg was very sore and red. The doctor came and shook his head and made a very great to-do to give him a nasty physic, too. But good dog Trey is happy now. He has no time to say, bow wow. He seats himself in Frederick's chair and laughs to see the nice things there. The soup he swallows sup by sup and eats the pies and puddings up. All right. That was a total asshole. Yeah. 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 Um, can I read the story of Little Suckathum? Please read the story of Little Suckathum. Which was... I- I basically grabbed the Uno skip card because I had to go grab my glasses. Yeah, I didn't know if we were going to throw it on a reverse. Um, no. Okay. So the little story of suck is semi-featured in um, the office episode of Take Your Daughter to Work Day. All righty. The story of little suck One day, Mama said, Conrad, dear, I must go out and leave you here. But mind now, Conrad, what I say. Don't suck your thumb while I'm away. The great tall tailor always comes to little boys that suck their thumbs, and ere they dream what he's about, he takes his great sharp scissors out and cuts their thumbs clean off. And then, you know, they never grow again. Mama had scarcely turned her back. The thumb was in, alack, alack. The door flew open, and he ran, the great long red-legged scissor man. This guy's awesome. And caught out little suck-a-thumb. Snip, snip, snip. The scissors go, and Conrad cries out, Oh, oh, oh. (laughs) Snip, snip, snip. They go so fast that both his thumbs were off at last. Mama comes home. There Conrad stands and looks quite sad and shows his hands. Ah, said Mama. I knew he'd come to naughty little suck-a-thumb. Conrad can't open up doors anymore with round handles. No, he's he's pretty much rendered useless like dog paws. Yep. Um, can I just say at this point, I'm really happy our daughter was never a thumb sucker. Just going to. Although I don't think that I would have thought twice about reading that tale to her. It's a great picture. It uh, With the um, scissor man like running yeah, after him. Yeah. I mean, it looks like they're doing like some kind of weird ballet. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's like a Pan's Labyrinth sort of uh, ballet <laughs> Or, or what was it? The, uh, the, bo- it wasn't the box, was it? What? The one with the, uh, oh no, the movie that had, um, the JLo movie? Yeah, the JLo movie. Oh, yeah. Where okay. she was going after the. Okay, I tell you what, read the story and I'll find it. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. All right. So I am getting ready to read the story of, of Augustus. Who would not have any soup, which is kind of the exact opposite of Augustus Gloop. Augustus was a chubby lad. Yeah, sorry. I'm leaning back because there's a little bit of a, of a glare. Um, okay. Augustus was a chubby lad, fat, ruddy cheeks, Augustus had. 
and everybody saw with joy the plump and hearty healthy boy. He ate and drank as he was told, and never let his soup get cold. But one day, one cold winter's day, he screamed out, Take the soup away. Oh, take the nasty soup away. I won't have any soup today. Next day, now look, the picture shows how lank and lean Augustus grows. Yet, though he feels so weak and ill, the naughty fellow cries out still. Not any soup for me, I say. Oh, take the nasty soup away. I won't have any soup today. The third day comes. Oh, what a sin to make himself so pale and thin. Yet when the soup is put on the table, he screams as loud as he is able. Not any soup for me, I say. Oh, take the nasty soup away. I won't have any soup today. Look at him. Now the fourth day's come. He scarcely weighs a sugar plum. He's like a little bit of bread. And on the fifth day, he was dead. Oh. Oh, Oh, no. Oh, bother. Oh, dear. Um, that's awesome. There's, there's like, one of the things I really do like about the way that Hoffman writes, like that song or that song, that poem could be a song. Maybe I should make it into a song. Um, but that poem, uh, reminds me a bit of like Shel Silverstein yeah. style. Writing. Oh yeah. Um, the other thing that I would say is the illustrations in this book are awesome. Yeah. They, they are totally worth, uh, looking at. I will, um, I got this off of Amazon, so I'm going to go ahead and throw that link in the Patreon um, page so you guys can go directly to it. Um, the movie Andy was referencing was Selena. I'm just kidding. It was The Cell. <laughs> it took me forever in the list of best J-Lo movies, which we know Gigli was not on. The Cell probably wasn't a best J-Lo movie. I think... It I, was artistic, though. Yeah, well, no, it was just kind of like Guillermo del Toro style, Pan's Labyrinth yeah, style, yeah. in-your-face, shock graphic kind of things. Um, but I enjoyed watching that movie at least the first couple times. It was good. Yeah. It was good. All right. Shall we move on? This is the final story. The story of Fidgety Philip. That Fidgety Philip. He is a fidgety fuck. All right. Let me see. This is the poem. Let me see if Philip can be a little gentleman. Let me see if he is able to sit still for once at table. Thus Papa bade Phil behave, and Mama looked very grave. But fidgety Phil, he won't sit still. He wriggles and giggles, and then I declare, swings backwards and forwards and tilts up his chair. Just like any rocking horse, Philip, I am getting cross. See the naughty, restless child growing still more rude and wild till his chair falls over quite. Philip screams with all his might, catches at the cloth, but then that makes matters worse again. Down upon the ground they fall, glasses, plates, knives, forks, and all. How Mama did fret and frown when she saw them tumbling down, and Papa made such a face. Philip is a sad disgrace. Philip has the best hair. Here, I'm showing Andy right now. He's like sideshow Bob, but a younger version with that hair. Yeah, kind of. Kind of. Kind of. Maybe, maybe carrot top. I'm more with the carrot top, less muscles, though. Where is Philip? Where is he? Fairly covered up, you see. Cloth and all are lying on him. He is pulled down all upon him. What a terrible to do. Dishes, glasses, snapped in two. Here, a knife and there, a fork. Philip, this is cruel work. Table all so bare. And, ah, poor Papa and poor Mama. 
look quite cross and wonder how they shall make their dinner now. Marital stress and strife, parenting stress and strife, all right there in this poem. Andy, thoughts on uh, Heinrich Hoffman's brilliant work? I really do believe that a lot of his stuff informed later art. So Edward, like Shel Silverstein, like you were Shel talking Silverstein, about. Shel Silverstein, Edward Gorey. Edward, Edward Gorey, yeah. Um, that's actually, I don't have any tattoos, but there was a long, long time, and it still may happen, um, where I was looking at getting the, the title page for the Grimly Snatched Teenies with the British version of Death holding the umbrella over all the ABC that's kids. That's an awesome picture. It is a great picture, but my, my concern is that the tattoo artist would want to make it theirs a little bit and that that would scare me a little bit because it's Edward Gorey is one of my all-time favorite line artists um additionally you know you've got the scissor man which uh the other person that I think probably was influenced by this a little bit would have been um Tim what's his name Tim Burton Edward Scissorhands yeah yeah there's some um a lot of different articles out there on the web about the possibility of that being a potential uh, inspiration. Yep. And I still think it's funny that these were suggested for a three-year-old through six-year-old. By a German psychiatrist. Uh, Germans are pretty. And, and, and actually with where we're going next, um, that, that actually kind of speaks to the German psyche and, and, and pulling no punches when it comes to the little ones. True story. Are we ready to move on? I'm ready when you are. Well, what's your take on these? I um, I do think it's like dead on that a lot of what's being portrayed in the different tales are um, very representative of childhood psychopathology. I do like that the tale of Fidgety Philip includes the fact that the child's behavior, which is out of control, really does um, negatively affect the family dynamic as a whole. Um, In working with different child populations, you tend to see kind of um, common frustration behaviors in their parents that can sometimes impair the efficacy of treatment. But at the same token, what you are seeing is parents that are at wit's end. Yeah. And, and so um, I do like that he put that consideration out there. Yeah, um, it was unlike the other stories, it wasn't just, you know, Augustus died. Right. Which doesn't reflect on what happened to the family when Augustus died. Right. It just reflects he on just, Augustus. He just died. And- that one closes out with, actually, the child, the worst thing that happens to the child is he ends up getting a bunch of food and plates and stuff spilled on him on, on top of the tablecloth. I think he lives through it from what everything he I does. gathered. And there's... And the parents are the worst part of it. I was going to say, the part the, the part that gets me, too, is it's just like, yeah, the child's fine, right? He's fine. Of course, his behavior is unmanageable. And That seems like a cautionary tale for parents, it, kids in that one. It's the story of birth control. Um, but um, all I'm saying, too, is, you know, I, I kind of think of it from the perspective, this is a family that might not have um, the ability to put something substantial on the table every night. Yep. And um, anyway, so that's something I really do like. Um, and again, you guys, if you have the opportunity to to read and see the illustrations, I think that this is a book you'll really appreciate um, for a three-year-old, for a 30-year-old. <laughs> it's. I think in this day and age, three-year-old's probably pushing it. Um, and, and he's definitely not a, 
not an Alphonse Mucha style it's artist. Because our kids are soft. But he's done. He's done. That's very true. Too um, soft. But he's done a very good job of of illustrating and yeah. Yeah. So guys, check it out. Um, but again, I'll put that link on the Patreon um, for the at least the Amazon link. But anyway, so I guess now we'll move on to our next topic on the agenda. Yeah. So um, we're now going to switch to a topic that actually I mentioned in the disclaimer. Um, probably with too many pauses around it, but it is it is actually it it's one of those things that the events were based on on a real occurrence, and so. And we'll flesh that out in a little yep, bit. Yep, we will. Um, so with that, let's go ahead and talk about the absolute brilliance and greatness that is Krampus. Uh, first off, we're not going to do what the teacher and school counselor did, consult Wikipedia. Um, whenever we have questions about something, the best course of action is to refer to the most reputable source on the internet, folks. Uh, I, I put greater faith in Urban Dictionary in most cases, just saying. Um, yeah, Wikipedia is... Oftentimes fairly well-informed, but it's also a land of misinformation. Well, and the fact that you can go in there and just... Edit whatever you want. Edit yeah. whatever you want to say whatever crazy-ass bullshit is on your mind at that yeah. time. And so it, it depends on, on how politically charged something is or good, bad, slash, you know, what kind of religious connotations just go around it. So be an informed consumer um, when it yeah, comes to research. With anything. Anything. And 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 definitely do your fact checking, folks. With anything, 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 always. Okay, you, you know somebody. This has been my favorite saying ever since I got into serialization of pharmaceutical product. What? Trust but verify. Trust that what you're getting is good, but then verify it anyway. Oh, as opposed to, sure. to my motto in life, which is trust no one. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you got to build trusted relationships in everything in life, right? That's how you build up who you want to get information from. That's how you build up who you want to talk to and everything else. So trust, but verify your sources. Uh, hopefully you guys are verifying me and you'll realize that a lot of times I say things that are pretty damn close to being accurate, but not quite accurate. Um, they're off by just a smidge, a spring smidge, as Jen likes to say. So with that, I got Jen with something in her mouth. She's laughing now, trying to keep from choking. That's awesome. Um, so with that, uh, we're going to go ahead and start talking about Krampus now that we've dropped down another rabbit hole. Apologize again. Um, I think we're going to rename this podcast down the and rabbit just hole. call it Rabbit Holes. Yep, down the rabbit holes. Uh, I still liked Metal great, Crack, though. The Great Tangent. <laughs> the, tang- <laughs> the Great Tangent Express. Yeah. Um, so anyways, Krampus is known in multiple cultures by various names, including Necht Ruprecht and Belschnickel in Germany and Austria. Yes. Yeah, you guys who watch The Office. I, I watch The Office basically via osmosis walking through the room. Um, so I know that Belschnickel exists. Yes. And, and um, there's other spellings like this is um, like Pelsnickel and stuff. There's like yep. all these variations of spellings like based sh- on the region. Like Struhlpeter. Struhlpeter. And his different... Little iterations. Anyway, so um, Belschnickel is uh, in Germany and Austria. Hans Trapp and Pierre Foutard. That's Pierre, like father. Yeah, Pierre, sorry. Pierre Foutard in France. En France. Yeah. So if he is not, and actually, unfortunately for him, as we all know, if he's not a nationalized resident, doesn't own land or anything else, he's not allowed in France right now. So the children are safe. That sucks a giant nut for him, though. France is locked down again. So... There you go. Omicron has shut it down. Anyway, as uh, as well, there are other names 
Perkton, Zwarte Piet, Piet, probably. Uh, Schmutzli. That's going to be my new pet name for you. Schmutzli, Zwarte Piet. <laughs> oh, my little Schmutzli. <laughs> Schmutzli. And then Klaubuff. Uh, is the dark companion of the yeah so basically um he's the dark companion of saint nicholas which is really what i know krampus as as the guy who cleans up the rough people before or gets rid of the rough edges before santa actually comes through thins out their numbers yep yep so um anyways the traditional european so saint nicholas is the traditional european winter bearer of gifts and and he's also the patron saint of children saint nicholas rewards the well-behaved children with modest gifts on december 6th which is something my family still does usually it's uh what mandarin oranges well first off tangerines um while saint nicholas normally would put these items in shoes um my amazing mother-in-law andy's mom hand knit all of these gorgeous stockings and she started making those decades ago um and so in those every year um we get what a mandarin orange we get nuts like an assorted um nuts that we have to crack open ourselves because you got to put some work into this yeah um chocolates a banana um usually like a small gift so we'll get um socks Socks. and um and then with that we get an advent calendar i think you guys got hats one year the, I think so. the women, I, the women folk got hats. We, uh, oh, and then um, as a tradition in Andy's family, we always get what the White House ornament is for that yeah. year. And um, and also in Andy's family, traditionally, that is the day the tree is put up and folks come by to decorate it. Yep. It's, yep. it's a great time. Pre, Pre-corona. Um, it was, yeah, my mom's real big on getting the family together, which, which I'm down with. Now she is older. the keeper of great traditions yep. and I respect the shit out of that. Yeah, so that's what St. Nicholas does. Um, and when my dad plays St. Nicholas, he throws open a kitchen door or a front door, throws a bag in, blows a whistle, and shakes this, some bells, this and this has happened during off. Corona. And he, 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 I'm sure, is laughing maniacally the whole time that he's doing it. It just it makes him so happy, yeah. man. He's happy to be a, a papaw. Yep. He, he is. He loves being a papaw. Um, which is weird because I will not work on vehicles with that guy anymore. He he is like the, the sky is blue with his language while you're getting told to push the effing pedal. And are you pushing down the goddamn pedal? If you ask, would you please push down the pedal? God damn it. This thing. If you ask any member of Andy's family, like what the worst possible situation is, everybody consistently without consultation prior will say it is working on a car with my father-in-law. What I would tell you is there's a lot of things I like doing with my dad. Bleeding brakes. It's not one of them. <laughs> so anyway, it's not good for everybody's uh, mental health. Now from that St. Nicholas on to this one. Uh, the last piece that I have about this St. Nicholas, Jen has moved on to the Schneiderweiss. Yeah, the Schneiderweiss, hello, Weiss beer. Nice. All the Weiss. Um, <laughs> So, uh, so anyways, St. Nicholas Day is traditionally December 6th. So that means December 5th is the day that uh, Krampus takes out the riffraff. And again, if you're an Office fan, yep. and this has become a Dwight episode of Mental Crack, um, in season nine, their Christmas special, um, which is entitled <laughs> Dwight Christmas. Um, Dwight dresses as Belsnickel to gather his coworkers in a circle to determine who is impish and who is admirable. Yep. And I will say that Belsnickel, um, in Dwight form, is uh, my on my Christmas stocking as well as one of the ornaments on our tree. Yep. And we have uh, two cramp eye 
I guess it's Krampuses or Krampi. What, the plush Krampus? Yeah. Uh, yes, we do, and their names are Bill and Ted. Yeah, after the most excellent adventure. Most excellent Krampus. Every every 5th of December is the most excellent adventure for them. I mean, who doesn't want to? Anyway, I'll let Jen get into that. Uh, go. <laughs> I guess we're, we're down to... Um, Where Krampus' name is derived. Yes. So anyways, um, the Krampus' name is derived from the German word Krampen meaning claw, and is said to be the son of hell in Norse mythology. Um, Krampus is typically pictured as, well, classic devil, which is probably why the... School counselor. Countless, yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, but he has horns, cloven hooves, he's got a monstrous Gene Simmons-like tongue, um, and may also be spotted as a sinister gentleman clothed in black, or even a hairy man-beast. Also... Like Gene Simmons. For real. Mm-hmm. That man has a carpet on him. Anyway, <laughs> he punishes the naughty children. Another shaggy reference. <laughs> Swakes. Sorry. Woo. Killing me, Jen. <laughs> so he punishes the naughty children, swatting them with birch switches and rusty chains before tossing them into baskets and dragging them to hell. Get that, you little fuckers. For those of you that watch The Thirsty Traveler, not unlike the uh, sauna episode where he was... In Russia. <laughs> but it was flogging with olive branches. Yes, flogging... Uh, the, Fro- uh, flogging for peace. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> All right, and for those captured by Klobuf, they become the main ingredient in holiday pies, mm, which actually pies have turned into a tradition for us around Krampusnacht as well. Yes, it always made me question the mincemeat pies that will we, appear on the buffet. We, yeah, well, we don't do that so much, but whenever, anyway, we'll get into that a little bit later. We've done... Um, oh, I've so, mentioned it in there, so yeah. yeah. So, um, so Krampus... Krampus's feast night is celebrated on December 5th, as we said, and it's the eve of St. Nicholas Day, or Nicholas Tag. Nicholas Tag. Um, this festival is called Krampusnacht and is often celebrated by partygoers dressing as devils, wild men, and witches. Um, costume participants in Austria, Northern Italy, Germany, Hungary, Slovenia, and the Czech Republic participate in Krampuslauf, or the Krampus run. And during this run, devils, some intoxicated, Bearing torches run through the streets, terrifying young and old spectators alike. Krampusnacht is gaining a foothold in other countries, such as Finland and France, because who doesn't want to have a good time running around with torches and branches and scaring people? While potentially intoxicated. While potentially intoxicated. No cautionary um, tales there. You know, unlike the running of the bulls, you're not going to get run over by anything bigger and meaner than you are. Which you is just always... might become a flambe. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and here in the U.S. It's the many... human marshmallow. <laughs> And here in the U.S., many states have their own Krampusnacht festivities. You're here. Um, as we celebrate Krampusnacht each year, and our child has known of this creature from day one, we have had the occasion of attending two Krampusnacht D.C. events. Um, we have a small dog whining outside. Yodeling. Yeah. Um, one second, please. Sorry. You want me to crack the door for a second? Okay. Um, and just following on what Andy said, both of these amazing events were in DC and go back to Andy. Yeah. So, um, they're basically, uh, what they're for is to accept charities for local or donations for local charities. Um, for the first one, we were greeted by an Elvis Krampus as soon as we, as soon as we rove. And it it was kind of nice because both Jen and I grew up, uh, Jen grew up at the tail end of the 80s slash 90s punker, um, era and, um, 
And then uh, I was actually in the heart of it with my first actual ever concert I went to was Circle Jerks, MDC. Um, Circle Suicidal Jerks just came back through. You knew that, right? Yeah. Suicidal yeah. Tendencies, TSOL. I'm trying to think who else was there, but it was like five bands. and It was an awesome night. Anyway, um, so the reason I bring that up is that a lot of the people that are that are working this, that are plain clothes, are actually punkers and the like. Andy's dog is trying to kill everything. So um, this event is actually um, held um, at the Gallery 01H in D.C. So when we had Elvis Krampus um, actually greet us at the car um, with a winter fairy, Elvis gave us a cassette of one of his greatest hits, like a legit cassette. And we still have it, of course. And then Kiddo received snowflake ornaments and candy from the fairy. And so it was definitely a go. Another thing we got when we went in were naughty and nice stickers to either protect ourselves from Krampus or to encourage uh, shenanigans. Andy's dog is losing her shit. Well, it's because we have food in here and the door's closed and there's lots of long cables and she just tried to take everything off the table over on my side. So that's kind of my fault because I'm letting the cables hang. We'll just anyway. press onward. So, yep, that's what I'm doing. So if you hear the whining in the background, think about children getting taken by Krampus. My dog would be one of them. Uh, yes. Sorry. I'm just going to, yeah. Um, so, so we so, were at the children's activities. Yeah. So anyway, um... So there were fun children's activities such as coloring, face painting, and craft making. There was a live DJ who spun some really great music, and we drank some craft DC brews, obviously. Um, uh, what is it? DC Brow is, yep. is a sponsor every year. Yes. Um, Santa and Miss Claus joined the party, and we're happy to meet with kiddos to hear their Christmas wishes. There were fire dancers. And these guys came from Peculiarity Productions. Yep, awesome. and Krampus has walked around in all types of unique costumes, which later... Uh, with with later participation in a costume contest that was judged by um, Santa and Mrs. Claus. But before the event, Sabine wrote a letter to Krampus, and she passed it to her favorite, favorite one before the night was over. And then the night ended for us with a parade around the Arts District, led by Batala Washington, um, which is an all-women Afro-Brazilian drum corps. Uh, and that's actually, they're really great. You can go find them on IG or, or any have, of the other They have social. their own um, webpage, yep. and I went ahead and put that on the Patreon page because yep. they're amazing. And we've bumped into them several times, actually. the One of the times we went in the middle of the summer, we caught a practice we of were up, them. No, we were up there for Veterans Day, one of your yep. meetings. That's and right. yeah, they, we had gotten off the, um, the metro and just heard the drums, and then we hung out for a while watching them across the street from where they were doing their practice. It was yep. amazing. So after we do the walk with the Afro-Brazilian drum corps, known as Batala DC, um, the, there is a 21 and up dance party, which means the night ends for us. Yeah, and uh, you know, when um, later on, maybe we'll get to participate in that. Um, the second year was just as awesome. So Sabine had her face painted to look like Pennywise the Clown, and she and her newly made friends got a front row seat for the Fire Dancers, Peculiarity Productions again. Um, we met several of the organizers, um, including the, I guess, the main Krampus in charge. And um, Sabine was reunited with her favorite Krampus, and she got a big furry hug. He remembered her from the year prior, um, giving, her, giving him a note. And the festival didn't disappoint at all. And we closed out the night with the big party drum fest parade. And if you were ever in the area... Dangerously delicious pies. Go there. You will thank us. 
They do sweet and savory pies, and they are fucking amazing. We got to know them the first time we went to Krampusnacht because Just Andy bought five million raffle tickets at a dollar a piece. Well, not a, really five million. What a killer prize box um, that included a gift card or a gift certificate for Dangerously Delicious Pies, my which, first sushi, and which having having just drunk a decent amount of craft beers, uh, we walked across the street because it is across the street from Gallery. O one H and uh, picked up a bunch of pies. Amazing! What was the pie that we got? We brought home. That was uh, well. We had two, but the one that really sticks out in my mind was the sausage pie. No, I'm talking about the sweet. Was it a peanut butter pie? What was it that we brought home? And like we oh, yeah. sat there like beasts, man. We were mauling this yeah, was- pie, and Andy <laughs> went downstairs and got us all milk. <laughs> yeah, it was. Awesome. Yeah, it's like was- a two in the morning. <laughs> Yeah, two in the morning in the hotel room. Responsible parenting. Um, uh, you know, it was it was St. Nicholas Day. And actually, that was... It was Krampusnacht. Well, that was Krampusnacht, but oh, yeah. at 2 a.m. it would be St. Nicholas, Nicholas Day. Day. Why not have some pie and some milk? And if I'm not mistaken, was that the night that Beanie found that St. Nicholas visited us in the hotel? Yes. It was yeah, so, brilliant. So, um, yeah, so uh, I don't know. It was probably like a peanut butter, almost like a fudge. It, it kicked ass. It was crazy. Anyway, but seriously, it was very go good. there. I think they have other locations, but I'm sorry, the DC one is just they near do. and dear to my they heart. They don't, they don't ship yet. And the other thing I'll say is, um, so Gallery O and H is in what's known as the Atlas District, which is a, as with most gentrified areas, a, a you know, a decent number of hipsters, but it actually has a a pretty hardcore grouping of, um, punkers and others that Those actually run people. it. So yeah, they're people that I get along with, like artists and punkers. Fuck the hipsters um, with the hipsters and neck braces. That yes. was a different DC trip. I brought it up. That was our <laughs> I'll find a baby picture. moon. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna find that picture and we can post it. I do have a picture of a hipster wearing a sweater looking like the chick from Sixteen Candles. Or no, no, pretty in pink. Oh no, that was Sixteen Candles yeah, 16 with the chick candles, in the headgear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He totally was looking like that. Okay. Should we get back on track? We should. Okay. So going back to the history of Krampus, it would seem that it all began with the European practice of mummery during the winter solstice tens of thousands of years ago. Way back when. Villagers would dress as animals and mythic figures to parade and perform often humorous plays. And the most common figures of these rituals were Old Man Winter and the Horned Goat Man. So St. Nick or Santa Claus and the devil, Old Nick, Krampus, um, as the opposed Opposing characters. Um, Krampus's frightening presence was suppressed for many years. The Catholic Church forbade the raucous celebrations. Raucous celebrations. And fascists in World War II Europe found Krampus deplorable because it was considered a creation of the Social Democrats. Okay. But Krampus is again gaining popularity, and over the past few years, uh, with people searching for ways to celebrate the Yuletide season in non-traditional ways, hey, why the fuck not go to Krampusnacht? So here are some key dates in the Krampus timeline. In 2000 BC, Enkidu appeared in the Epic of Gilgamesh. This is the earliest appearance of a wild man in literature. And in my head right now, I have the really horrible video for Wild Boys by Duran Duran. And I need to move to the next one. You do. Save yes. yourself. I will. Thank you. Um, 600 BC in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, King Nebuchadnezzar is punished by God for his pride. And he is turned into a hairy beast like Gene Simmons. In 217. Or like Morpheus in the Matrix. Brilliant. 
in two or two seventeen <laughs> BC, Saturnalia is introduced as a winter, uh, winter celebration in Rome, marked by gift giving, wild parties, and a reversal of the normal social roles of master and slave. And again, here comes the song "Master and Servant" by Depeche Mode. Move along, Jen. It's a good song. It is. And. Fourth century AD, due to Roman influences, many Germanic tribes, such as the Goths and Vandals, convert to Christianity with their pagan traditions surviving in small villages in the Alps that the church cannot penetrate. 17th century AD, Necht Ruprecht, Necht Ruprecht uh, appears as a figure in a Nuremberg Christmas procession. In 1810, the Brothers Grimm began publishing Germanic uh, folk tales, stories, making a resurgence of Germanic pagan folklore. Early 19th century, holiday postcards from Germany, Austria, and other parts of Europe feature holiday greetings from none other than Krampus and other companions of St. Nicholas. Also in the early 19th century, Germanic and Dutch immigrants to the United States popularized the Belsnickel traditions in Pennsylvania, which is where the office takes place in Scranton. as well as Maryland, and as far west as Indiana. In 19th century New York City, the emergence of the American St. Nick, a.k.a. Santa Claus. He was based on the Dutch St. Nicholas, but he also embraced um, many elements of pagan winter solstice solstice traditions. He did switch out the White Bishop Ensemble for a red suit, and instead of his staff and horse, he hired a reindeer to pull his sleigh. And rather than on December 6th, he did his thing on Christmas Eve. He also tried to make an example out of misbehaving children by leaving a lump of coal in lieu of presents, but he ended up slacking off. Enter Krampus. In 2004, Blab Magazine published a collection of vintage, uh, vintage Krampus postcards from the turn of the 19th century. Oh, those things were amazing. In 2004, the Venture Brothers of Adult Swim fame feature Krampus in a Christmas special. In 2007, Supernatural features an evil Krampus character. In 2009, Krampus visits Stephen Colbert on The Colbert Report. And 2011, A Krampus Carol by Anthony Bourdain is gifted to the world. We put the link on our Patreon post. It it is awesome. You should watch it. You will thank us. In 2012, The Office airs season nine Christmas special entitled Dwight Christmas, in which he dresses as Belsnickel and determines whether the years of his coworkers have been impish or admirable. And in 2013, Krampus appears in the television show Grimm. And actually, last night we watched an episode of Bob's Burgers, and I don't know the year it yep. came out, but it was the Krampus was the Bleakin. Yep. The, yeah, it was the Bleakin, which was a bird-like creature, and it was stealing all the kids' toys. That was the idea behind the Bleakin. It looked like it was wearing like a Spanish flu mask. It was interesting. Sort of, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, Krampus is alive and well in pop culture. I'm going to hold that burp. Thank you. Yeah, it's fighting its way. Um, that being said, all hell Krampus. For, what can I say? For real. All right. So <laughs> that's Krampus. And finally, this elf on a shelf crap. Apparently, the elf on a shelf is touted as Santa's best friend, which we all know is a lie because his best friend's Krampus. Um, but the so-called elf on a shelf tradition comes from a book written in 2004 by the mother-daughter team of Carol Abersold and Shonda Bell. Upon Bell's suggestion that they write a book about an old tradition of an elf sent from Santa who came to watch them over Christmas time. This elf on a shelf is considered a scout elf sent to, yes, I said it, infiltrate homes and creepily hide there to watch over the children's behavior. 
Little Big Brother then flies back to North Pole once every everyone has gone to bed to report to Santa the activities, good and bad, that have taken place throughout the day. And then before the family awakens each morning, the elf returns from the North Pole and hides each time in a new location. Apparently, the scout elves get their magic by being named and loved by a child, all while being a total snitch. And we know how it goes. Snitches get stitches. The magic can disappear if the scout elf is touched. So the rule for the elf on a shelf states, and I quote, there's only one rule that you have to follow, so I will come back and be here tomorrow. Please do not touch me. My magic might go. And Santa won't hear all I've seen or I know. I would have been touching an elf. And not inappropriately. I, by touching, I mean I'd pick it up and like throw it across the room. Bring its neck. Damn straight. It wouldn't be going back to Santa. <laughs> it <laughs> would be going back to Santa in a casket. That sucker would be coming in behind enemy lines. And I'm home in a body bag. <laughs> Break his leg, Johnny. <laughs> Sweet leg. Although families are told not to touch their scout elf, they can speak to it and tell it all their Christmas wishes so that it can report back to Santa accurately. The fucking sigh. The story ends on Christmas Day with the elf leaving to stay with Santa for the rest of the year until the following Christmas season when it goes back out snitching like a bitch. Good riddance. Take your insanely creepy ways and line of overpriced merchandise with you, motherfucker. And thank goodness there are voices of reason. Here are a few critics of this elf on a shelf joker. Are we ready, folks? You ready, Andy? I'm just sitting over here eating. Okay, cool. I'm enjoying my time with you. All right, so Kate Tuttle, who is a columnist for The Atlantic, says it's, quote, a marketing juggernaut dressed up as a tradition, unquote, whose purpose is to, quote, spy on kids and argues that one shouldn't bully one's children into thinking that good behavior equals gifts. Preach on, sister. Um, A Washington Post reviewer, Hank Stover, describes the concept as, quote, just another nanny cam in a nanny state obsessed with penal codes, unquote. Dr. David Kyle Johnston wrote in Psychology Today that this is a, quote, dangerous parental crutch, unquote, with much the same reasoning as what he terms the Santa lie. I'm going to pause here for a minute because our daughter is conducting her research this year. She's almost 10. And like the question of whether or not Santa exists is like serious this year. And she has her friends that are of her own age that like truly believe Santa Claus is happening and she has her friends that truly believe that Santa Claus is just a myth. So um, anyway, she has this insanely cool scientific method where she is um, collecting bits and pieces of all the wrapping paper that we have in the house. Because what usually happens is we wrap the Santa gift in a different paper. So she's collected all of her samples so that she can determine if Santa is real or not. And her scientific method was posted in like a four-page manifesto, manifesto um, on her door. So we'll let you know how that turns out. Also, um, Professor Laura Pinto suggests that it conditions kids to accept and conform to the surveillance state. And that it communicates to children that, quote, it's okay for other people to spy on you and you are not entitled to privacy. What'd you get? The Gravensteiner. The Gravensteiner. Yeah, it's the unfiltered lager. All right. Uh, Which means it's a cloudy beer, most likely. Cloudy. 
Professor Pinto also argues that, quote, if you grew up thinking it's cool for the elves to watch me and report back to Santa, well, then it's cool for the NSA to watch me and report back to the government. Uh-huh. The rule of play is that kids get to interact with a dollar video game or what have you, but not so with Elf on a Shelf. Uh, the rule is that you don't touch the elf. Think about the message that sends, unquote. God, I love these people. So to all of you fine people I've just referenced, thank you so much. Elf on a Shelf is utter bullshit, and it often gets assumed that all families use this as a means to correct child behavior during the Yuletide season. And that brings us to the disclaimer at the beginning. Yes. So um, during the more or less uh, the the shelter-in-place season for um, child education, so Beanie was here for all of third grade for the most part. For um, all of third grade. Yeah, and... The end of second grade and all of third that's, grade. That's right. Time flies when you're locked in the house. Yeah, um, but she was she was here, and so there, those of you that know my daughter um, know that she's fairly social, and she's I'm sure right now bummed out in her room because she's not part of this uh, podcast. But um, to put her, you know, basically with two fuddy duddy parents in a house, and while while we're her friend, Is he talking about us. While we're her friend, um, it's not the same as her getting, you know, a peer relationship that's more than just online. Nobody could argue that. And so really what she knew from me, because I was my, I guess it's now my previous job. Official. Um, But at my previous job, um, uh, basically I was running... Anywhere between 45 and 50 meetings a week because what happened is is when everybody else sheltered in place, instead of having water cooler time, you ended up getting your calendar booked by people that wanted to work or that wanted to talk to you, either the people that work for you or otherwise. So every minute of my day was was blocked up. So really what Beanie knew of me was me walking in there and telling her to get off of YouTube. Um, but during that period where her teachers didn't get to know her outside of her class and didn't get to do anything as far as as far as um, getting to know her just as a person, uh, it, this is where things started to bubble I, up. And I think what it felt like for the teachers, <clears throat> excuse me, was that there was a disconnect. And our daughter uh, truly attended the bare minimum. Like, I'm an essential employee. I have to get at my work every day, even when two-thirds of my caseload is down with the sickness. So what we had was a situation where every morning they would meet for a morning meeting um, on Zoom or Google Classroom or whatever, and um, or Google Meet, I guess is what it is. And um, they would kind of have a discussion point. So around Christmas time, the teacher was like, so hey, everybody, tell me about your elves on a shelf, which for me initially was problematic. And I'm not that like uppity Karen kind of bitch most of the time. Thank you. Yeah, I qualify that. Um, but the fact that one makes an assumption that, I mean, Elf on a Shelf's related to Christmas. So until Andy talks about what's going on next, there's that like belief that everybody in your grouping has some sort of Christian something. Yeah. Right. But when like she went and called everybody, she um, called on kiddo and kiddo was like, uh, you know, we don't, do Elf on a Shelf. Elf on a Shelf is creepy. Like, we celebrate Krampus, right? And so the teacher not having any or very limited knowledge of Krampus um, goes and looks it up on Wikipedia 
and basically comes back with the conception that Krampus is a devil. And we're devil worshiping. And probably that we're devil worshipers, right? So she takes it to the school counselor who calls and who answers the call, but the psychologist. And she reads to me what she is aware that Krampus is. And then I have to call her out and be like, so that's like the first two sentences of the Wikipedia um, introduction for Krampus. And she's like, well, yeah. And I was like, so, um, yeah, no. First of all, I don't like that folks are making assumptions about the family. And even if the assumptions are correct, um, it's really not anybody's business because we're not, we're not harming our child. Our child is very much not harmed and is a very well-grounded individual. Um, and then I actually had to school her on um, the Germanic folklore and Germanic culture. And she, I'm German. Well, get to know your culture, man. So um, anyway, at the end of the day, Andy was super happy that I was the one who took the call. Um, and he's looking at me, but you liked when I took the counselor calls because I could put, put everything in perspective for her. Sometimes you liked when I took the counselor calls. Well, because I was tired of like, Just I'm tired of the ignorance, man. Like tired of it. Um, and you kind of hear it in a counselor's voice, and you're like, okay, blah blah blah. I'm like, well, hey, first off, I'm a psychologist, and they're like, oh. Anyway, um, so that's really the story behind our disclaimer. So we didn't get any more calls from the counselor um, for the remainder of the school year. Not on that, anyway. I don't think we had any more after that. There was the one that, that you're thinking of happened before that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so, so back to our Krampus presentation. Yes. I mean, I'm sorry, Elf on a Shelf. Sorry. The presentation, since we're making up words tonight. It's, oh, shit. Okay, go. Anyway, um, moving on. As we said, there's, there's not just Elf on a Shelf. There's other variations that exist that are similar to Elf on the Shelf, but not quite the same. One of those is the Mensch on a Bench which is a Jewish counterpart that looks a bit like a rabbi or Hasidic Jew. Hell yeah. <laughs> and it's based on the book of the same name that was written in 2011 by Jewish father Neil Hoffman, a former Hasbro Toys toy marketing executive, and Rob, Fo- Rob Foster. Um, it's become a, a Hanukkah tradition, in fact. Cody Decker, the starting left fielder for Team Israel in the 2017 World Baseball Classic, brought the team's mascot, a five-foot version of Mench on a Bench, with him to Asia from the United States for the World Baseball Classic. Cody Decker, I salute you, sir. That's awesome. So the mascot proved to be a big hit. Of course, there is always the question, like with many mascots, of if it's offensive. Um, I'm sure it is to someone somewhere. Uh, pitcher Gabe Kramer said, the mensch on a bench is a symbol we can really rally around as a team. We are proud to be Jewish, but we know how to make and take a joke, something Jews have have a long history of doing. The mensch is a great way to have fun in the dugout while reminding us why we're here and who we're representing. With that, um, we'll go ahead and stick with Krampus personally on our side. So Krampus in the corner is a kind of our deal. Um, that's where we're at with it. And thank you very much for all the other things that people want us to follow. We're going to stick with Krampus. Uh, Krampus, you know, his, his general message is pretty much the way short, short and sweet. And he's kind of lives by my motto, which is 
let people know where you stand. Don't be a dick. And basically, that's it. There's one rule in life. Don't be a dick. Damn straight. Yep. And seriously. Nobody wants to get cooked into a pie. No. Cloud elf. Um, so there we have it. The cautionary tales. So you better watch out. Better not cry. Better not pout. Or express any emotions <laughs> if you want to get some gifts. Let that be a lesson to you. Um, so tune in next time as we discuss a fun little cult that can help you achieve your New Year's resolutions. And it should be a good time because you know how we do. Um, moving on to our shout outs. Um, let's go through the, the shout outs. Our kiddo, who's our creative consultant, our cover art designer, our professional dog wrangler. Yep. Um, the Gilson and Foundation. Why? Because we love them. We actually spend a good deal of time on the phone. Uh, actually, Jen was spending some time on the phone Andy with took it over. the president and CEO, and I kind of came down and started talking as well. Then Beanie came down. Before we knew it, it was a family affair talking to the Gilson and Foundation. Um, and again, we love them. And yeah. And, wow. And, and and we got to watch how to make a um, stellar white Russian several times. Yes. And oh, hey, Christina, your Christmas trees look amazing. Yeah, they are awesome. They actually, uh, so the Gilson Foundation has three trees in its house. One's, devo- one's devoted to Disney and the other ones are all themed as well, I believe. Um, and they sit in various places, the foyer, the the office um, I don't remember where the was third it? one was. Christina's office, the foyer, and then there's another one. I can't remember where yeah. it's. It's in um, Gab, like the living room. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, um, so, so we spent some time talking to Gavin. I had a couple. I had a scotch and a bourbon, and he had a lot of white Russians. It was three a.m. over there. So good man. He's per- he's permanently. He he's not permanently, but he is on vacation for Christmas from now until after the New Year. And he works the evening shift, yeah. so his body's readjusting too. Yeah, he's he he had mentioned that he was putting it off a couple of days as far as letting his clock get set back to the regular days. Um, but as always, bless the Gilson and Foundation. Yep. Um, All right, Kristen Harris and Eat Trivia. Of course, you can find them on Facebook and Instagram. Eat hosts uh, many types of virtual trivia games like Wrong Answers Only and topic-specific games like The Office, Friends, Schitt's Creek, Parks and Recreation, The Good Place, Harry Potter. Um, So take a look at them on socials and then join us, the Trivia Cult. It'll be a super fun time, I promise. Um, Tickets are available via Eventbrite, so go on, get to it. Um, December's been kind of a funky month for Eat Trivia, but um, I'm thinking when the calendar page turns to January, we'll be back um, with lots of great trivia um, activities for folks and games for them to participate in. And Mental Crack is doing their best to cons- uh, to sponsor one game per month. So um, we'll do our best to get that information out to you on our socials. And a uh, quick shout out to Last of the Real podcast. Um, these guys are on YouTube and they are always a lot of fun. Uh, we had the privilege of being interviewed by them back in November, and they were kind of uh, kind enough, even against their better judgment, most likely, to invite us back for their Christmas special. Um, we do hope to have them on our soon our show soon. We actually um, do have something that we're looking at that that geographically sits near them. They are in Jamaica, and not to give too much away, um, but they are a blast to talk to, and it's just a bunch of good friends getting together and um, spending some time together. Yeah, they're they're amazing folks, and. I- it was we were so happy to be able to talk to them again. Um, so please look them up. They are on YouTube. So it's Last a uh, D I D Real Podcast. And um, take a moment, take a listen. Various topics of interest. Um, there's something there for everybody. 
And um, please subscribe, like all that good stuff. Support these guys; they're they're busting ass on this podcast, and it's yep. really a lot of a lot of fun. And and they're just real good people. Um, so hey guys, thank you for listening. This podcast is available on multiple streaming services that include Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public via Anchor by Spotify. And we are now on YouTube, so check out our channel, which is Mental Crack. So like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Yep, and um. I, you should really read the next line because that's about me. I, I just like that you came with a yep. Yep. And much to uh, much to yep about is that our producer is Andy Meyer. That's me. Yep. Some days. I got a little crazy on the editing last time after the, the great wine fiasco. Um, but it was a good time. It helped me cope. Things were good. We promised we weren't going to talk about it any further. No, you promised that you didn't want to hear about Can it. Can we stop talking? <laughs> Anyway, so um, I'm telling Krampus on you. Moving on from there, uh, just make sure that you email us at Mental Crack. That's uh, M E N T A L C R A I C. And folks at um, gmail dot com. Yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I'm just going to say, coming in January, we're going to have some great T shirt giveaways and other cool stuff. So that's going to be key information for you right there. One hundred percent. Also, connect with us on Instagram at Mental Crack, spelled the same way as I just spelled it, and on Facebook, Mental Crack the podcast um go ahead jen visit our patreon page for access to sources cited in the preparation of this case and consider becoming a patron of the show now remember um our patreon page any of our resources any of the mentions that we have here today are not pay for content they're um, available to the general public and um again thanks for listening to metal crack we'll check you next time um, and then the only thing I wanted to say is Merry Christmas to everybody. Happy holidays. If you don't celebrate Christmas, don't get mad at me for saying Merry Christmas. Everybody should be able to do whatever the hell they want to do without everybody getting offended all the time. So for those of you that don't celebrate Christmas, happy holidays. For those of you that do, Merry Christmas. Jen, since this is your brainchild, take us out. And Gurus von Krampus, happy holidays, a blessed winter solstice to see you, and Slancha, bitches. <laughs>